I don't know. Looks what are so you doing? Alvin, what are you doing over there? Yeah. Alvin, what are you doing? Don't eat that. That's a wire nut. I've had enough problem with things up your ass. All right, get out of here. I also dropped a pill somewhere on here. I'll probably kill the cat with that. Come on, get out of here. Chew, come on. Stop sitting there. You, come on, come on. Over here. Could somebody get the cat? Go on. Come on, get, get, get. All right. All right. Cat's out. There you go. There's your preamp. Back to the bin. We only have two books and... Uh... And mine is a short one again. Plus, the one you're doing, I've never seen, except for the cover that you sent me. I have no knowledge of it at all. Yeah, it's pretty much going to be all me. I'm looking... Yeah, it's like that time that... Paul, uh, 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 yeah... Uh, I'll just be here to Scott. Scott did that other one. Yeah, I'm um, here to run interference and make fun of you when possible. But other than that, it's probably you know I'm not going to. So lot this of show will be no different than any other one. Well, usually I make fun of you and have uh, extremely relevant and interesting points to make. Right. Today it's just the former, not so much the latter. I'm trying to see if I can pull up some images for the comic, other than the cover. And uh, strange. There was only two comics. Um, really? Because you would think something like that would be a major bestseller. And I was going to do a little bit of, uh, and I don't have number two. I only have number one. So. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Bill's LMD comes to light again. Right. <clears throat> there we go. I can't follow that. Sure you could. Ah. There you go. La, 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 la. There we go. And you were saying you couldn't follow that. You kidding me? <laughs> we're disgusting. They could sell that on iTunes for 69 cents a uh, shot. All right. <laughs> All right. Oh, hello, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm here. I'm Paul Spataro, and that's... Uh, 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 what yeah. is, who who is that? Is it Bill? Is it Bill's life model decoy? Who the hell is it? It's 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 Doctor Bill for now. All right. Well, today we I'm here with Doctor Bill and nobody else because I refuse to bow to public pressure and invite Professor Allen on to record <laughs> with us. Oh, despite you... all the Facebook pressuring I'm getting, you need some vig. That's what I told him. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the term, some simoleons, some smack, some greenbacks, some cash, some moolah. Yeah, perhaps I could wet my beak a little. In the words of Don Fanucci from The Godfather Part 2. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Guido Sarducci, but uh, that's that's a different Italian. That would be a different Italian. Uh, you got anything funny? I got nothing funny. Look in the mirror. Oh, I'm sure everybody listening is cracking up right now at, at your sartorial wit. Sarcasm, lowest form of wit. I'm there. <laughs> All right, enough enough of playing the beleaguered host. Uh, what's going on, Bill? How, how's everything? 
Oh, things are a lot better. Uh, some of my absences, like from the CGS episode, I was, uh, Alvin was down. Uh, he was almost out if we hadn't got him to the, uh, to the vet hospital. Uh, he was, he had some other problems like he did last time with being blocked up and, uh, this no! time was... <laughs> yeah, he, he was doing that. He was screaming. He was screaming. It was meowing. All these weird sounds. And, uh, then we couldn't find him the next day. Found him under the bed and took him to the vet. And, uh, he was basically getting ready to die. Uh, he was, he was, uh, his, uh, urinary tract was blocked. And... So right off the bat, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but right off the bat, I'm thinking, as you say, he's getting ready to die. Uh, the final decision on that particular journey would probably depend on the price tag from the vet. <laughs> <laughs> and, and considering the price well, you no, no. told me, uh, um, <laughs> were Alvin in my care, he would he would already be resting comfortably somewhere. <laughs> he, he would have been an ex-cat, ex-parrot. No, well, find him for the fjords. <laughs> well, he was he, he was not long for this world. He was uh, he was going to he was beginning to die. And if I had not gotten him treatment, he would have died. And, and who they... would I be to stop him from that glorious journey? <laughs> I guess I, in my selfishness, I decided to save his life and prolong his agony on Earth. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and decrease the, uh, amount of money you have to buy anything. Yes. Yes, this is true. So, you know what, what I said a few, uh, a few shows ago that I didn't need anything. <laughs> Send me some money. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, I don't even know if I want to say what I paid to save the cat's life. Let's just say I could have bought. Uh, let's see, I could have bought two PlayStation fours, and uh, probably about uh, maybe four or five games. I'm thinking you could have financed multiple animal funerals. <laughs> <laughs> well, they did give me the choice. They came out with the estimate and said, "Here's the estimate," and I went. <gasps> <sighs> they almost had to resuscitate me, <laughs> and. Uh, I said, um, I got to make a phone call. I said, okay, take your time. You know, of course, you know, they're, they're like, yeah, well, yeah, get, get the oven ready. <laughs> so, so, they're lowering him into it. And then when you said, all right, I guess I'll pay it. Get him out quick. Oh, shit. Put him out. <laughs> <laughs> they bring him out. He's got a little steam coming off. <laughs> So I call the wife and, uh, well, hey, uh, the cat's going to be, well, how much? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess I should, well, the estimate, <laughs> the estimate, you make it sound like, you, I thought I was getting my car fixed, you know, well, yeah, the estimate, well, let's see, the estimate to fix the cat, let's see, well, we're going to have to, uh, going to have to put an IV in him, we're going to have to stick a catheter in him, uh, uh, probably an enema or so and care for the weekend and we're gonna have to do an x-ray and we're gonna have to do a blood test we're gonna have to... so the estimate was uh 1356 dollars yikes yeah and i was like oh yeah i'll tell you what if the cat had been 10 years old he would have been gone i don't think uh, i mean it's lucky he was a young cat he I was just, a young cat well That's he exactly is what i would be saying yeah <laughs> 
he was he's got years of life ahead of him. So yeah, yeah, I paid like almost fourteen hundred dollars to keep the cat alive. <sighs> you have any good photos for me to add to the? Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's see if I can to find the cover it. of this episode. <laughs> no, 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 I didn't get any. Uh, I didn't get any X-rays this time. Perhaps a shot of Alvin laying prone underneath the bed or something. <laughs> With like $100 bills all around him. <laughs> but uh, uh, one thing that was funny was uh, once I'd signed off and said, uh, all right, well, let me a- ask you this. Uh, let's say Alvin doesn't make it. Let's say Alvin <laughs> would meet with an unfortunate accident before let's I had a chance to pay his bill. Well, it's like, well, let's say something happens to the cat. Um, at what point do I stop paying? <laughs> well, we would only charge you for everything we had done up to that point. Okay. And then, then they come it's back. It's a shame to he passed away just after we finished with the most expensive of yes. procedures. Oh, yeah, because that's what I was thinking in my head. I'm like, well, how am I supposed to know what they did and didn't do? You know, I'm going to pay $1,300. Yeah, here's your cat. You're dead. <laughs> turned out, <laughs> Turned out, you know, we were almost there. He died 50 cents before we were done. <laughs> your credit card ran out. What? <laughs> so then they asked me, well, uh... <laughs> Well, if something does happen to him, do you want him resuscitated? No, I, I, I'm pretty sure he filled out the do not resuscitate forms before I brought him here. I had to think about that. I, I stopped and I just thought like... Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Dr. Bill's fantasy flashback moment. So after they said, do you want to resuscitate the cat? For a moment I paused and I looked upward to the sky... And I was said to myself, how do you resuscitate a cat? And then I pictured these little, these little paddles coming out with little paws on the end of them. Putting it on the cat. And then I said, so how exactly are you going to resuscitate him? And, uh, well, we would intubate him and, oh, okay. So you're not going to shock him with little paddles? And they looked at me like I was crazy. They're going to intubate the cat. Intubate, yeah. Stick a tube down. Yeah, you know, you know what? No, you're not. <laughs> Unless, well, let me let me ask you this, Doc. Well, then I asked him. I said, after paying thirteen hundred dollars, is the resuscitation thrown in for free if it occurs? No, that that's what I asked him. I said, how much does it cost to resuscitate him? Well, that's sixty five dollars. Yeah, no, it's not. And I said, all right. <laughs> well, luckily, when I picked him up, they didn't say. Uh, Oh yeah, we had to resuscitate him six times. <laughs> he was he was on death's door. <laughs> he's got one life left. <laughs> Who's there, man? We brought him back. He was he's a fighter. You know, I see him. You know, coming coming in like Ed Harris from uh, the Abyss. You know, punching the cat's chest. Fight, fight, damn you! You've never been afraid of any dog in your life. Fight! I'm thinking Alvin. Might be the leader of the, uh, of the, what you call it, the handicapped pet Avengers. He's got a catheter in him. He's had, he had two enemas. Two, they gave the cat two freaking enemas. And then they tell me, well, well, uh, well, of course, now you're, you're going to have to change your cat's diet. Well, well what do you mean I got to change his diet? Well, you know, well, what have you been feeding him? Oh, dry food. Oh, no, no, no. That, that's that's the worst thing in the world you can give a cat. 
So I did some research online, and I guess it depends on the cat, but yeah, it can be bad to give a cat nothing but dry food. So, yeah, we're going to have to give you this special, special uh, food. Oh, okay. And where do I get this food? Oh, it's it's from the vet. Okay. H- how much is this per can? That's about $2 a can. $2 a can? Uh. <laughs> what? Just like, gets what better kind of and better. <laughs> Uh, well, we'll we'll send the pet chef over to your house daily for sixty dollars a night. <laughs> what's what's like going to be sixty dollars a month if he eats one can every day? My ah, uh, why can't you just go to the store and buy their moist well, that, pet food? That's that's what my wife and I have actually been. How did this become cat talk? Is what I want to. I guess I shouldn't have gone into the whole Alvin subject. No, before. but you know the listeners all know of Alvin now, and they want updates, especially when something as significant as bringing Alvin back from death's door occurs. Well, his 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 temperature was dropping. His uh, his kidney he his body was becoming toxic, so he was he was going to die if I didn't get him treated. So I'm an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, you're, you're, the two of you are searching for him. You look under the bed, you see he's pretty close to gone. No, I didn't find him. <laughs> uh, I don't know where he could be. <laughs> I have no, no, I haven't seen him. He's down there. Meow. No, I'm here. Come on, save me. I'm here. Come on, intubate me. <laughs> I need a catheter start. <laughs> two animals, I tell you, two! <laughs> Must have come flooding out of him at that point. <laughs> ah, it's flooding out of my wallet. <sighs> yeah, so then I go to pick him up that Monday morning because they're only open during the weekends because they're the emergency. They're like, well, now you need to take him to your regular vet. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean I got to take him to my regular vet? Well, we didn't take the catheter out. I'm like, take the catheter out. I'm not going to now go and drop him off at the other vet. Where they can charge so, another 300 So they're going to charge me for another day. He's alive. Okay, well, and he had an IV in his arm, which they wrapped it up in a cat bandage. It was like a tiger bandage. I'm like, really? Oh, that's cute. Yeah, that's cute. And get it off him. <laughs> so, so I was like, oh, well, he's got the IV. Well, <laughs> they said... Well, maybe we should just leave it in there in case something happens and you have to bring him back. I'm like, well, how do I get the IV out? Can I just take it? I could see me pulling out with a pair of needle nose. All right, hold the cat still. Oh, it broke off in there. Oh shit! Yeah. So uh, you you don't you you know you want to be really careful. That's a that's a thirteen hundred dollar cat now. <laughs> well, if you count the four hundred from before for his first trip, he's now a seventeen hundred dollar cat. Now, was this like a stray that you adopted, or did you actually purchase him somewhere? No, I didn't purchase him. My my daughter's one of her friends. They had uh, he was a barn cat. <laughs> she just stayed in a freaking barn. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, she had to have a cat because her friend had a cat. The other cat's gone. We don't even know where that cat is. Well, it's, you know, you just tell your daughter it's it's a good thing you had to have a cat because it's taken the place of college for you now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh, so we brought him home, and uh, we left the IV in. They were nice enough to take the IV back out um, the next day. Um, you know, we just wanted, because if not, they were going to charge to put the IV back in again. So that's why we left it in for an extra day. And he was kind of uh, shaky and 
you know, wasn't eating a lot, wasn't drinking a lot, but he, he's pretty much back in a swing of things. And where we, we researched and we got him some, um, some off the shelf food and we're mixing it with the vet food for now and doing a little more research and going to go to the pet store and actually see if we can just get some over the counter pet medicine, or maybe we'll just keep mixing, mixing his food. And maybe, you know, when I, I, we just, I'm not spending a buck 68 for a can of food a day. Well, see, now it's important that you keep him alive though. Yeah, I know. Cause but... like if, if he were to go next week, you paid $1,300 for a month. I know. We got to get along. We got to get a return on our. <laughs> you know, you, you get, it, you get it, six, six years out of him. And, you know, it works out that you only paid like $200 a year. It's not so bad. Yeah. Oh, no, no. I, yeah, I agree. <sighs> but, yeah, I guess part of the thing was, you know, his diet was what was partially causing this. And he's got to get the special food. He, I don't know. He had crystals in his urine. I don't know. Was he shooting out rocks? Or, I don't know. See, now I picture you at home, you know, you're sitting there and Jen's saying, well, you know, Bill, you got to watch. You can only eat this, 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 and puts that in front of you. So Alvin, you can only eat this, this, and this, puts it in front of him. Two of you just sitting there, like, giving her dirty looks at the food that she's putting in front of you. <laughs> and I look at the cat. What are you looking at? I saved your life. Shut up. Meow. <laughs> Don't do me any favors. <laughs> Who asked you to save me? I could have been in a barn. I had a good life. No, I'm stuck in this house. Do you know how many enemas they gave it? I've had three enemas since I've been with you. <laughs> Not one enema in the barn. Three you with me, you. Because <laughs> you fed me crap. <laughs> I'm a goddamn predator. You feed me dry food. It's you know, I, I, I think we have to tie this in, and, and you're going to have to create a uh, Alvin the Cat comic or something, because... <laughs> So you got to have it to go with the podcast because we're not doing a pet podcast. <laughs> We've so far for the first 20 minutes, I think we have. Uh, All right, so let's, let's, you know what, let's move on to other subjects. Yes. I'm glad Alvin is well. I'm sorry that you've spent all that money. Just tell Alvin he's lucky he doesn't live with me. Because <laughs> yeah, if he did, he wouldn't be anymore. <laughs> well, yes, he, he did... Uh, hop up on my chest and was sitting next to me and, you know, purring away, you know, saying thank you for keeping me alive, I guess. Or either that or he was hungry. I don't know. One or the other. Come on, big dumb cat. Feed me. All right. So let's, uh, we got a lot of email. Why don't we get on to that? All right. Yeah. Let's jump in. Um, let's see. You want me to do the first one? Sure. Go ahead. This is... Back to the bins, Captain Marvel, the JSA, and Dr. Bill's LMD. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> From Russell Bragg. And says, hello, fellas. Not too many notes this time around. This will show you how swift I'm not sometimes. I just thought Dr. Bill was being quiet because he was ill or something. <laughs> it wasn't until later that I realized those were Dr. Bill clips you spliced in. <laughs> Wasn't it just Scott and Paul for a while on Back to the Bins before Dr. Bill came in? Uh, yeah, I believe it was, wasn't it? Well, it was. It's when I came on, the show was on, in hiatus. So my coming on kind of brought it out of hiatus. And it was mm -hmm. Scott and I. And then Mike Bailey came back on. So it was the three of us for a while. And then I think it was for a little while, it was just Scott and I again. And then you joined us. And uh, it's, it's been a success <laughs> story ever since. 
All right, back to the email. I think the tangents are fun, and they usually have to do with your original subject. (laughs) (laughs) You do get back on track eventually. Yes, eventually. As you got to reading my email for that episode, you got to the 8-track talk. I suddenly remembered that we had the Superman the Movie soundtrack, too. You guys brought back a lot of TV memories when talking about game shows. You were right about Jack Clug about Jack Klugman suggesting Brett Summers be on Match Game. From everything I saw, she and Jack separated but never divorced, and she did a lot on Broadway, which I didn't know. But you mentioned Match Game and Tattletales, which were among my favorites. I always thought Elaine Joyce was hot. Me too. Elaine Joyce. Elaine Joyce. Which one was Elaine Joyce? I'm throwing she's, a blank. She's married to Bobby Van, blonde. Mm-hmm. She would play the kind of kind of the ditzy, cute girl. Oh, act. okay. Uh, All right. Really, really cute, I thought. I've been watching Battle of the Network Stars on ESPN Classic lately. Host Howard Cosell got on my nerves sometimes. But it's been neat to see it again. Oh, man, I remember some of those Battle of the Network Stars, especially some of the women. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, was it Linda Carter in one of those? I believe so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't, uh, wasn't even aware that there were podcast awards, but it shouldn't surprise me. They have awards for everything today. I, th- I think they have legitimate podcast awards, but the ones we're talking about are the ones that Professor Allen took it on himself to, uh, to distribute or name winners. Well, he's, in, he's entitled to his own podcast. Award. He absolutely is, but I don't think there's an, I don't think there's any sort of independent governing body on that. Mm. I think it's just <laughs> prof- professor, professor Allen podcast award. <laughs> I think it's just professor Allen deciding who he thinks should win. End of Doom story says, <laughs> which would be fine had he chosen our show, but he did not. Well, and so does Russell. Cause he says, I think back to the bands should have gotten something maybe next year mm-hmm. on to the comics. Marvel, Paul, no moniker yet. Captain Marvel, number 24. Shazam! Oh, not that Captain Marvel. I know nothing about the Marvel Captain Marvel, except that he died, which I haven't read either. Russell, because did you read anything? Have... <laughs> but the, the, the Marvel Captain Marvel... I'm just teasing, Marvel, Russell. I'm just teasing. The Marvel Captain Marvel needed somebody to get him an enema and, uh, <laughs> and to resuscitate. <laughs> Hey man, he was dying of what? What do they call it? The, the Black Death, whatever they had. He he died of Captain cancer. Marvel. He had the cancer. Yeah, but uh, they called it something else. Uh, well, you know, it was uh, the Black Sickness or something. There, there was all different things they had. I remember they had that was in the Death of Captain Marvel graphic novel. They had a mm-hmm. big, you know, I remember when I read that. Um, my uncle had I had I had an uncle that had died of cancer. Not he, soon. He didn't after also that. fight nucleon or nucleo. No, no, no. He he huh. didn't fight Thanos or no. He didn't fight uh, what do you call it? Um, oh, who's the guy that cracked the can? Nitro. Nitro. That's because that's where he got it. Because yes, Captain Marvel had to seal up the canister of nerve gas. But uh, but no, that kind of hit me a little bit back then because my uncle had died at around the same time that I read it. So. Well, had a little bit of a personal connection there. So, where were we? And yet Alvin know, lives on. And then Alvin lives, yes. Well, I don't think my uncle would have still been around now. But 
maybe somebody were willing to spend thirteen hundred dollars for it. <laughs> maybe he's reincarnated in a cat, <laughs> torturing you because you didn't spend thirteen hundred dollars back then. <laughs> I could spend thirteen hundred dollars back then. I was like, uh, I don't know, twelve. Give me a break. I remember my <laughs> uncle on his deathbed? He looked up at me, meow, sad look in his eyes, and said, "Meow." Ah, <laughs> uh, you're a cold man, Spataro. But I like it. Because <laughs> if you can't laugh at death now, you're, you're not going to be able to laugh at it when it comes. There you go. That made no sense. So Anyway, I know nothing about the Marvel Captain Marvel except that he died, which I hadn't read either. I didn't even know he was sick. No, I didn't even know the... <laughs> I didn't even know the Rick... Oh, the Rick talked about was Rick Jones. I'm Rick Jones! Oh, sorry. What I... Oh, Rick James. No, I'm way off. <laughs> Super Freak? <laughs> yeah. I'm Rick Jones, bitch. If you mentioned it in your synopsis, I missed it. I do think it was a stretch to have your head attached to an android. <laughs> Even ultra-humanite and post-crisis Lex Luthor had just their brains transferred to other human bodies. But a whole head? That's comic book science, I guess. By the way, did this Captain Marvel stay dead? Pretty uh, much, yeah. Yeah. They, they uh... I think they they planned to resurrect him, and uh, during Secret Invasion they brought him back, and then when it turned out that he wasn't, you know, that that it wasn't well received, he turned out to be a scroll. Yeah, but I think had it been well received, he wouldn't have been. Right. I mean, the only other appearances he's made afterward is I think when Adam Warlock went into the Soul Gem and encountered him in the like the little pocket world that's in there with all the other dead people. Basically, is the only other appearance, like in continuity appearance. I, you know, not non flashback appearance. I think he's had. So how about yeah. when he did that uh, Necrotia thing? Um. Oh, was you know, it... wait a minute. Um. What was that? Didn't they have some other Avengers thing? Not too long ago. I mean, Necrotia was the X Men, right? Yeah, but there was there, a, there was another, a different one. Avengers. There was a group of dead Avengers that came back. Yeah. I think I think Dr. he was Druid. among them. Yeah. Yeah, but then they all something else happened and they all were just they all were sent back to the land of the dead or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um so DC Scott JSA All-Stars number 1. I think I mentioned it on another of your shows. I'm not too knowledgeable of the JSA past All-Stars. All-Star Squadron. I vaguely remember the whole Sandy becoming a creature of some sort and Sandman blaming himself. But I can't remember where or when that took place. Maybe you can get me up to date on that character. Mm, not me. That's not my... Uh, well, he's asking Scott, too. Scott, why don't right. you get, Scott, get working on that right now. Yeah, get... Why don't you do a, uh, I don't know, like a JSA or some type of podcast? <laughs> Maybe you and Mike Bailey can come up with that. Have you put any out yet? Oh, that's right. I yeah, think they there's, put... there is there is an episode out. I listened to it last yes. night. Oh, I have not listened yet. I just downloaded it. I think this morning. Ah, uh, do you guys know how the JSA fits into the comics these days, or are they even talked about? Um, well, I guess well, on Earth too. Too, but even that's not really the JSA proper. I would say. I mean, yeah, they're there, but they're it's all. It's a it's an all, all alternate universe, but they're not old. Basically, is the way I, uh, from what I've seen of it, 
Which, like I mean, not... I've, I've heard very good things about the whole Earth 2 series, but them not being old just kind of takes away the whole... To me, the the whole point of or either old or in a past time period, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like to me that was part of the appeal of the JSA. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I, I I this this might be a perfectly good story, but it's not the JSA that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. I'm a blank slate on today's comics. Guess I better close for now. I envy Scott being in Florida now. West Virginia has been bombarded with snow the past couple of weeks, and it's been unusually bitter cold. But as always, keep up the great work, and thank you for keeping me entertained at work. Russell Bragg, Clarksburg, West Virginia. I can relate to the cold and snow because it's been happening here. I'm getting sick of it, although I still will sign on to it before I will go for a heat wave. And then he had a quick follow-up. I was just going to do this next one, too, real quick. Because uh, he sent it almost right after. He okay. said, uh, Sorry, guys, it's been a long time since I listened to it, and I don't remember which show I heard it on, but Scott hosted a show where he talked about the Titanic. I very much enjoyed it. I don't have the amount of paraphernalia that he does. God knows. Uh, oh, we're talking Titanic paraphernalia. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have a few books and coffee table books, audiobooks, and documentaries. About the ship. I think we even had a 3D Titanic jigsaw puzzle, which we never did put together. Yeah, I've got a 3D Millennium Falcon jigsaw puzzle I've never put together either. Anyway, that's me, not Russell. But I'm a big Titanic fan and wanted Scott to know that and know that it was a great podcast and he did a fantastic job. Yeah, that was. Uh, oh, and that's from Russell Bragg, Clarksburg, West Virginia. I, I've i listened to that uh, to the to the Titanic one. In fact, I almost lost my mini iPod during that, and I almost flushed it down the toilet when it fell off my neck. But I saved it with the headphone cord thingy. It was like I was fishing, but uh, I digress. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just go on to the next email. Okay. Thank you, Russell, for the emails. Uh, Our next one is titled, My Spider Sense is Tingling, My Nose is Twitching, and My BS Meter is Going Crazy. From our friend Luke Giaconetti, Dr. Bill Robinson, producer Paul Spataro, and superlative Scott Gardner. <laughs> How's that for a nickname, Scott? I don't know if it would count as truth in advertising, but that's just me. Uh, Dr. Bill is on the money when it comes to Gamera befriending humans, not Godzilla. Woohoo! In... <laughs> Don't get too used to that. In the film Godzilla's Revenge, a.k.a. All Monsters Attack, a young boy named Ichiro travels to Monster Island through the power of his imagination. No, 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 no. You got to say that like Doug Hayden. Power of his imagination. And visits with Godzilla's son, Minya. The veracity of the events in that film are a bit suspicious, though, as it seems to happen in the kid's head. So the whole thing is a little crazy, and this is coming from a film series which features a robot who, and I quote, reprogrammed himself to grow (laughs) giants. I remember, that was one of the first um, Godzilla movies I remember seeing, uh, other than the Godzilla proper, the black and white, because that's the one where the little kid, he's fighting, he's fighting like a, a guy's breaking into his apartment, or it's in like a basement of his apartment building. And at the same time, it, it's mimicking a fight that was on Monster Island with the little Godzilla son. And yeah, I know the movie's talking about. Although I probably can't just didn't do justice to describing it. But yeah. Well, 
but you might be the only one besides Luke who knows of that movie, so. No, 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 no. In the Hanna-Barbera Godzilla show, Godzuki was Godzilla's cowardly cousin. Parts of this show have been released on DVD, but in keeping with the way HB tends to do these things, not all of it. At least the whole first season is available. The Rankin and Bass King Kong cartoon from the 1960s, which I vaguely remember, Mm. itself the basis for the film King Kong Escapes, which was covered on episode 13 of Earth Destruction Directive as part of King Kong Month on Two True Freaks, has only a handful of episodes released on DVD. Like Scott, I have an appreciation for Hydro Man. I really liked his turn as Mary Jane's crazy ex-boyfriend from the 1990s Spider-Man cartoon series. For example, he also did a bang-up job of filling in for Sandman as a member of the Frightful Four on the 1990s FF cartoon. He's one of the of those spider villains who has a hell of a cool look, but unfortunately doesn't get much in the way of good stories or character development. Compared to the Sandman, who's had a lot of twists and turns in his character over the years, Hydro Man has pretty much stayed as a mid-level bad guy. He remains what I call a plug-and-play character, where if you need a solid B-list villain to fight your hero, he's a good fit. For reference, I think he's the greatest plug-and-play character. Oh, the, the greatest. For reference, excuse me. For reference, I think the greatest plug-and-play characters are the Wrecker and the Wrecking Crew. Yeah, they they frequently Mm -hmm. show up in such things. Here, here on Mike Parabek. A long-aided man has never done anything for me as a character, but this book was a joy to look at for for Parabek's artwork. My friend Adam put me on this series a number of years ago, so I was glad to hear it come up on the show. Personally, I am just amazed that the creative folks at IDW thought – that enough people actually liked the Into Darkness version of Khan that they thought a series focusing on that character was a good idea. That pile was the first ST movie I actively disliked. Blah. <laughs> Love the show, guys. Please keep up the good work, Luke. P.S. By the way, the difference between a teddy and a camisole is that a teddy is a snug one-piece which covers the top and bottom parts of the body, while a camisole is typically looser-fitting and only covers the top part of the body. Thank you for that, Luke. (laughs) There's a PPS, but I think, Bill, you should read that. (laughs) Yeah. Did I echo? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, because I couldn't do the sound justice. (laughs) Well, next email. Oh, back to Mr. Russell Bragg again. And this is uh, subject back to the bins 137, Invincible, JLA, X Men, and the LOD. Oh, Legion. Of, oh, I'm like, the LOD? What? Oh, that's the show I wasn't on and a show I haven't even listened to yet because I'm way behind in my listening. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys. I'll, 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 I'll catch up. Actually, I just started to listen to this one the other day. Hey, guys. Another great show as usual. Hey, Paul. How about Persistent Paul? Eh. <laughs> Maybe Pesky Paul? Pesky Paul's not bad. Persistent Pers- Paul doesn't really do it for me. Keep going. Per- Persimmon Paul? Persnickety Paul. <laughs> Persnickety Paul. <laughs> I can't think of a time lately when you were abs. Oh, God, this is going to be another glowing Paul email. Uh, how did I get stuck with it? I can't think of a time lately... When you were absent from the show and you are the same whether Scott or Dr. Bill are with you or not, you are you are consistent. You are so great. Pause the man. Uh, oh, sorry. Sorry. I 
thought I didn't realize I was I thought I was inner monologue. My wife goes for point Poindexter as your moniker. Yeah, I have to say I don't like that one. But I don't know how you feel about it. Oh, you I'm a, telling you right now, I don't like it. <laughs> Tell your wife, no. You did a great job in editing. I didn't notice any gaps in sound or scrambled words. I had no problems hearing what you guys were saying. I was trying to think about my own comic origin. The earliest comic memory I have, other than seeing comics at the store, was a small stash my mom had in the attic. Oh, of comics. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the stash I, most <laughs> attic stashes I know are a little bit more blue. <laughs> she used to buy them uh, for her nieces and nephews, or my cousins. This was before I was born. Anyway, there were some Archies and romantic story comics, but the one I remembered most was Superman's Girlfriend, Lois Lane, number 80. It didn't have a cover. Hard to tell what happened to it. Well, a lot of books that didn't have covers, weren't they, they were, the covers were ripped off and they were resold, like in some stores? Yeah, that was, that was part of the process when they used to do that. But, I mean, the cover could have gotten ripped off. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the kids it could have. it off. But didn't it? Didn't those books that were like that? Wasn't only like half the cover ripped off, or just like well, the top it was, half? It was a deal with. I, I know Mike Bailey had talked about this on one episode that we had done, and he had given the whole thing. But I think what happened was they were allowed to return the comics, but I guess to make shipping costs cheaper or just to make it take less room, they just made them return the cover, and then co- oh, okay. rather than dispose of the books, the uh, store owners were then selling them cheaper with no covers. Gotcha. Okay. Hard to tell what happened. I'm sure without a cover, it wouldn't be worth much. On to the comics. Paul, wildcard independent, had Invincible number five. Know nothing about it. You did a great job describing everything, but I don't think it would be something I could get into. Sorry. Jim, DC, Justice League of America 185. I am sure I have this in one of my crisis on multiple Earth trades. Number five, to be exact. I always love the meetings between the JLA and JSA, even though they were usually a death or some sort of trouble. It was always good reading. I'm going to have to read this whole story arc again soon. Russ, Marvel, X-Men 205. I probably mentioned before, I didn't really get into the X-Men. I liked the movies and could watch the cartoon, but I never read a comic. Nice story, though. Guess I'd better be going. Hope all is well with you guys. If you if you are there when you read this email, I always... Uh, oh, if you uh, hope all is well with you guys, if you are there when you when you read this email, as always, I remain your humble listener, Russell Bragg, Clarksburg, West Virginia. Thank you, Russell. Okay, and our next email is once again from Luke Cecchinetti. Oh wait, can I say the subject? Sure. Solomon Grundy won nigga bands. Okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> Producer Paul, Superlative well, no, Scott, right, well, and Bill's your, LMD. No, no, let's hear your Solomon Grundy. No, no, I'm just gonna go with that. I'm fine oh, with okay. that. Okay, all right, fine. Mm-hmm. I think it's. I think it was a. It was an excellent Solomon Grundy. Hmm. For what it's worth. <laughs> Producer Paul, Superlative Scott, and Bill's LMD. Wayne Boring at Marvel and on Captain Marvel of all things, huh? I'm not anywhere near the same class as you guys in identifying creators, but even I know that Wayne Boring at Marvel is a bizarro world scenario. Last year, my local LCS ended up somehow with a giant pile of old Marvel graphic novels, books, and they were in several giant piles on a table 
right when you walked in the door, all at half cover price. Seeing as those were almost all before my time as a collector, I perused them and started pulling some out. There were the same titles appearing over and over. Emperor Doom, The Aladdin Effect, Super Boxers, Hulk vs. Thing, Star Slammers. But tucked in among these duplicates, a single copy of The Death of Captain Marvel, which I immediately snagged. Having never read that book, I was super eager to crack it open. The Death of Captain Marvel really made me want to read the other Starlin Marvel stuff because I really enjoyed that book and Starlin's cosmic work in general. I would strongly recommend the Jim Starlin Captain Marvel books, but mm-hmm. any other Captain Marvel I could just pass on, which Luke goes on here. Uh, the little bit of pre-Starlin Captain Marvel I have read is in line with number 24, as you guys discussed, generic and pretty boring. This issue is reprinted in Essential Captain Marvel Volume 2 for whatever that's worth. JSA, All-Stars was a really neat miniseries from what I have read of it. I have most of the series, but not the entire thing. The story started here in the first issue is finished up in the final issue. That makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> like, like a set of bookends, the rest of the series is made up of solo issues focusing on each member of the team. Those issues were split into two parts. The lead story featured the modern version of the character in an adventure, while the backups featured the original Golden Age heroes. The Hawkgirl issue had Kendra in the lead and a Carter Hall story in the backup. The Doctor Fate issue had Hector Hall in the lead and Kent Nelson in the backup, and so forth. Great stuff. Rival was a Golden Age predecessor to the Reverse Flash. He made a one-shot appearance back in the 40s, and then was brought back as a member of the new Injustice Society, as seen here in this series. Thanks for the good show, guys. Luke. Luke. Thank you, Mr. Jack Kennedy. And what do we got next? We have... Ah. Oh, would you like to read this one? No, not at all. Hmm? You sure? It's my good buddy, Andy Leyland. Go ahead, read it. (laughs) Subject, this email has nothing to do with con... Binners and special guests. Good run of recent episodes with some surprising yet delightful choices of comics. And yes, Mike Paraback is still much missed. A couple of things leapt out at me whilst listening. Why is Barry Windsor Smith not higher up the food chain? Love this guy's work. This X-Men issue you covered was right around the time I stopped reading X-Men. I've still rarely been back, but the issue was a corker. I wonder if Smith's lack of visibility on these spurious best of lists is because he didn't do a lot of superhero stuff. Check out his Conan work. There are there are some pages there that are simply gorgeous. I totally agree. Uh, we've done quite a bit we, of Barry Windsor Smith lately. Uh, uh, we did the Iron. I did the Iron Man one. We did um, that X Men one. There was another one recently as well. I can't even remember. What it was, plus I have another one waiting in the wings to be done in a upcoming episode, uh, which we should be recording soon. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, yeah, the first time I had seen Barry Windsor Smith was in the X Men, so that was my first, my first exposure to him. But yeah, he's love him. Yeah, me too. I think Scott is not quite as on board with that. Hmm. If he were here right now, he might tell us and, ele- and, and elaborate, but alas. He'd say, eh. 
And to add to the art love fest, George Perez and his JLA run. Perez is an artist who is hurt regularly by his inker, but his JLA and FF stuff, and of course, the Teen Titans, mm-hmm, show, show the guy at his best. You know, he is on the outs with DC at the minute, but I love to see him back on Avengers or the FF. Have you thought about cov- covering Avengers versus JLA? Uh, I know we've talked about it, and I think that would probably be something that we'd uh, do on Avengers Spotlight if we could yeah. ever get around to it. Well, yeah, and yeah, that's that would be a long discussion, I think, too. Yeah, we'd probably just have to do it an, an issue at a time, and yeah, exactly. Yeah, we maybe take one, you know, one page at a time, <laughs> <laughs> one image. Well, I know the guys at Comic Geek speak. I think they did a couple episodes on it that were, I think they did one just on the cover or was, I don't know. I don't recall. I can't. It's been a couple years. Yeah. Invincible. I've been championing this book since the start. Easily one of my favorites. And I think better than the walking dead sacrilegious possibly, but the book is such a good read that I can't lose myself in reading it. That I can, excuse me, I, I apologize, I, I must go chastise myself, Andrew, I have messed up your email, I am so sorry. I pause for a moment of silence, now I will begin again. I can lose myself in reading whenever I sit down with a new hardcover. Such a good blend of cartoony art with ultraviolence, great book. Have you read I, any Invincible? Yes, well, I we covered Invincible oh, duh. in that episode. I haven't read and, all that one yet. And, uh. and we, we discussed at that time uh, a lot of what Andy's saying. And I, I think I had uh, said basically the exact same thing, that I that I actually like that series slightly more than I like The Walking Dead. See, I've just, I've got a couple issues that I found in my miscellaneous that I picked up in a collection, but I haven't actually started to actually read it yet. So uh, I'll have to give you an update on that when I actually get around to reading it. Yeah, I mean, ideally, I'd say start at the beginning because it is a, uh, you know, it, the, the story builds. Right. Oh, yeah. So it's not one you can just catch up with. You you probably can because it, it's mm-hmm. it's written in a way where where you don't feel like you have to know everything. But I do think there are layers to it, and it, it's more enjoyable if you do know the whole history. Okay. So I would definitely recommend picking it up from the beginning and then working your way through. All right. Alright, Spider-Man, Spider-Span. You hate Sp- Andy's letter. <laughs> I No, I don't. Spider-Man's Spider-Sense. Tom DeFalco has said that if you get three Spider-Man writers in a room together and ask how his Spider-Sense works, you'll get three different answers. Initially, an early warning about threats to Peter... Uh, to Peter personally, it seems to morph, depending on the story, into an all-purpose warning about... Anybody germane to the plot. It's a shame Scott didn't read the issue afterwards as it turns into a King Kong riff with Hydra Man and Sandman becoming one big lumbering monster and carrying Sadie, sexy Sadie, up the Statue of Liberty. Denny O'Neill, so good on Daredevil and Batman, really seems to struggle with Spider-Man. All right. Simonson's run on Galactica did begin with an adaptation, kind of. After the three-part adaptation of the pilot movie, significantly altered from the super special Scott mentioned, Simonson came on board to adapt the first two episodes of the show in issue four and five. After that, Marvel started going their own way with Simonson taking over full-time later in the run. These are some good comics. 
I am trying to build a complete run myself, but as mentioned, they are hard to get a hold of. I sold my set years ago for a good price, but regret it now. It seems odd. I have no regrets in selling all my Neil Adams Batman comics to fund our universal tickets, but regret selling Battlestar. Maybe it's because Galactica has never been reprinted in full and is therefore harder to find. Um, I've got some, I think I've got some of those, you know what, I might have sold mine too. I I know I had some of the Galactica uh, Marvel books, but I really don't have any idea where they're at or even if I still have them. So yeah, I might be in the same boat with you, Andy. I might be re- regretting selling mine too. I don't think I ever had those. I remember one that dealt with, uh, I think Adama was, I think they took Adama and they kind of shoved him off to the side and put him in a, uh, like put him in suspended animation. I don't know if they couldn't use his character, but he was creating some type of dream reality and it was affecting other people in in the fleet. It's been a long, I I haven't read them since I was a, a kid. So anyway, keep up the good work. I always like it when a new bins hits the iPod, and this recent streak of diverse comics has been a pleasure to listen to. Best wishes, Andrew Raylid. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, sir. I believe we have... I think we have one more. One more. Once again, from Mr. Russell Bragg, titled Back to the Bins 138, Man-Thing and the Freedom Fighters. Hi, guys. Welcome back, Dr. Bill. You were missed. I don't know if a show, show with Paul and a life model decoy of Scott and Dr. Bill would work. Uh, honestly, I don't know that it would work either. That's why I haven't tried to do it. Plus, it would be so much work. It would be ridiculous. I'm sure that it would be entertaining, but you guys play off each other so well, it might not have the same feel. Oh, I'm sure it wouldn't have the same feel. <laughs> How about a show with just life model decoys? <laughs> I enjoy listening to even more TV memories. I remember watching Wild Kingdom 2, and my mom liked to watch Jacques Cousteau. I couldn't give you any specific memories, but I remember watching. That's pretty much the way I am with Wild Kingdom. You know, mm-hmm. other than other than uh, Marlon Perkins sending Jim out there among the lions or whatever, I don't really have any specific memories. I'd be all for a podcast devoted to 70s television, whether it's a Back to the Bin special or a show of its own. I would enjoy that myself so whenever anybody wants to put it together i'll be happy to listen <laughs> i was thinking oh, no, about no. why don't you produce one <laughs> perhaps i will <laughs> i was thinking about suggestions to make for future shows america versus the jsa is a top one which you guys said is out there somewhere the whole thing about that is i feel like that's got to be scott and mike i think they have to do that on tales of the jsa yeah they'll However, if Scott says they don't plan on covering it, I would be happy to. Mm-hmm. But I would add the last days of the JSA, Nightfall, and DC Comics Presents Annual Number 1 to that list. Paul, are there any Treasury editions you're looking for in particular? I've been working on the Treasuries for the past year. I have almost all the DC Limited Collector's Editions that I want. I'm looking on a subsidy for my cat. The Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer ones are so hard to find at a decent price and condition. Is there any cat Obamacare out there? Don't know if I can help you any, but I have your address if I can. Uh, Honestly, I I mean, that's really much appreciated, Russell. I I mentioned kind of that I have already the Superman, Spider-Man, Batman, Hulk, uh, Superman vs. Muhammad Ali 
but after that, I'm very much lacking, and I'm interested in, in books, but uh, I, I don't even know. Shipping might be more, more than enough to to make it unreasonable to expect you to send them. So, I don't know. <laughs> One I'm last. Sorry, I was, I'm sorry, I was butting in and interrupting there. I was just joking. Well, well, you know. Did you joke? Yeah. I, I hadn't heard anything. Oh, yeah. I'm oh, sorry. One last TV reference. Harvey Birdman, attorney at law. We have the DVD sets and love the show. It was crazy at times and the ending never made sense, but the shows were very funny. I never thought I'd like it because I thought it disrespected Birdman. I stand corrected. It did, re- it did disrespect Birdman, but I love the show anyway. On to the comics. Paul, Marvel, Savage Tales number one. That was a cool origin tale about Man-Thing. Like I've said in previous emails, I learned about the character on this show. It was nice to get a full origin story and not just flashbacks to what happened to him. I I would agree, and I think a lot of people, because that was in a magazine, a lot of people are kind of familiar with the story of the Man-Thing, but I think a lot of people probably have not read that particular issue. Well, I hadn't read that before then. Nor had I. Mm Mm-mm. Dr. Bill, DC, Freedom Fighters number nine. I knew a little I yeah. I knew a little bit about the team before listening. Of course, Uncle Sam stood out to me the most. To clarify some questions, I think you both had. The Freedom Fighters is a team made up of characters acquired from the defunct company Quality Comics. Although the characters were treated by although the characters were created by Quality, they never were gathered in a group before being acquired by DC. The DC versions of the characters were said to reside on a parallel world of Earth-X, where Nazi, Nazi Germany eventually won a prolonged World War II due to a Japanese invasion, invasion of California and the development of nuclear weapons by the Nazis. The team first appeared in a JLA-JSA team-up, which ran in Justice League of America 107-108, October through December of 1973. Since the crisis on Infinite Earths, the Freedom Fighters have been based on the main DC Universe Earth and and were all members of the All-Star Squadron. Of course, with the New 52, who knows what they are or where they are now. Don't know if the Freedom Fighters comics were collected in a trade, but I might like to learn more about them. Thanks to both of you for the reads. They were great. Better Better close for now. Hope life is treating you good. As always, I remain your humble listener, Russell Bragg, Clarksburg, West Virginia. Now, I know in the New 52, they had a series of miniseries with Freedom Fighters characters that uh, Jimmy Palmiotti was writing. Uh, mm. But I I was under the impression that they were going to do each of the characters and then eventually they were going to bring them together for a team book. But I don't know how far along that's gone. I haven't seen anything in a while and it's possible that it the the individual series weren't going over well enough and maybe they scrapped the idea. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I'm I'm not really up on the new fifty two that much. But I think that's about it for email. Thank you to uh, Luke, Andy and Russell. Mm-hmm. Which Start. I guess is all of them. Yep, we've we got a little behind there. Um hey no, I need no, to no one says that, that we have little behinds. <laughs> Very funny. I need to take a quick break. Meow. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Very funny. I'll be right back. All right. All right. See if this were Dr. Bill. 
talking. He'd be doing an Arnold imitation. He'd be singing. He'd be funny. Can't help you there. It was the dawn of the third age of comics, 15 years after the rise of the Comics Code Authority. The Bronze Age was a dream given form. Its goal? To portray superheroes in a way that was socially relevant by tackling real-world issues. It's a catch-all, a place to explore monsters, demons, gunslingers, gods, and superheroes alike. Writers and artists wrapped in house styles of sophisticated realism, creating the stuff of legends. There is no assurance of quality, but it's our last best hope for comic books. This is a retrospective of the true golden age. The year is 1970. The name of the podcast, Uncovering the Bronze Age. Tune into our feed for regular content at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. Also home to the Quarterbin Podcast and the Short Box Showcase. Hey, you there? Yep, I just heard a little uh, Alvin meow. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get Alvin to, to talk. Hold on. Alvin. 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 He's sniffing the mic. Alvin. Hey. No. Hey. Now you say nothing. Alvin. You didn't just, like, squeeze him, did you? <laughs> no, I didn't squeeze him. He's smacking his tail against the mic. He's rubbing my leg. Hey, come on. Say something. It's your big moment. You're blowing it. You're purring, but you're not saying anything. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's looking at the litter box now. Wow. <laughs> hey. Okay. Yeah. Are we gonna yeah. do any books today or what? Oh, I could go to bed right now. <laughs> you scaring me, dude? Oh, I'm sorry. You were saying you were tired. Yeah, but I don't want to go to bed with you. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> Oh, now the cat was doing something. Uh, How much is that going to cost you? I don't know. (sighs) No, I did the thing. He went in there and then he jumped back out and he made that that low growl like he was making when he was having problems before. I don't need this. (sighs) Okay. All right. We ready? Yeah, just cut out all the cat stuff. I may leave a little bit of it in. Yeah. Just pick and choose my moments. <laughs> all right. Uh, so I picked a Marvel for today, and I picked Strange Tales number 159 from August of 1967, and it has a $0.12 cents cover price. This is from the era where Marvel had several split books going, Tales to Astonish, Tales of Suspense, Strange Tales, and Strange Tales was being split between Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., and Doctor Strange. I'm going to cover the uh, Nick Fury side of the story tonight. Uh, The cover by Jim Steranko shows a shirtless Nick Fury battling Captain America amidst amidst flames. Uh, Nick has apparently let loose with a judo chop that appears to have ricocheted off of Cap's shield, and yet it doesn't appear that he has a broken hand, which is kind of surprising. (laughs) The title of our story is Spy School, which is written on a movie theater marquee on the splash page, and the credits, which are also on the marquee, are listed as produced by Stan Lee, which I assume means edited. 
script and cinematography by Jim Steranko, which I assume means he did all of the writing and artwork. And then lettering effects by Jerry Feldman, which I assume means he did the lettering effects. The story picks up after the apparent defeat of Hydra in the previous issue. Nick and fellow agents Dum Dum Dugan, Jasper Sitwell, uh, a woman named Laura Brown, who is the daughter of the Supreme Hydra that they beat, and Nightcrawler are walking <laughs> through Manhattan. No, 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 that's the Purple Man. Is it? That's the one that was Nightcrawler. Actually, I think it's supposed to be Gabe, um, what's his name? Gabe Jones? Yeah. But Gabe Jones isn't blue. He's he's an African-American. Well, that's what I said. This He's, he's the purple man because, uh, yeah. Okay, well, yeah. Reason, there's a purple Gabe Jones. Um, yeah, there's... Perhaps in defeating Hydra, he fell into a uh, vat of ink. Purple ink, yes. And they're walking through Manhattan where the helicarrier is docked for repairs at the time. And we have a couple of surreal-looking shots with the city street behind uh, the characters who are in the front, and the background is all black and a kind of a pale blue. Uh, Agent Sitwell declares that he's off to go on some some new secret mission that he can't tell them about. Nightcrawler, I, I, uh, Gabe Jones has a uh, gig blowing a horn at some type of undercover assignment. Dum uh, Dum Dugan is going back to his home in Boston. I always just pictured him as coming from Ireland myself, but well, there's, there's, he apparently hails from Boston. There's Irish in Boston. Maybe, uh, maybe Hair Metal, Metal Hero knows him. Maybe he, maybe Hair Metal Hero is Dum Dum Dugan. Perhaps. Uh, and uh, okay, yeah, they do a team hand clasp, <laughs> and then head their separate ways. Nick and uh, Ms. Supreme Hydra daughter start to walk off and he starts reminiscing about growing up in Hell's Kitchen. He really ages himself because he talks about how he was there when the talkies first first became popular. And they show a shot of a fight on Yancey Street and we learn that Nick's, fu- Nick's father was killed in action in 1918, which means Nick was born at least that long ago. Mm-hmm. So Nick Nick is quite the old man. I mean, I knew he was old, but he's really old. <laughs> <laughs> they go into into the barber shop that serves as the secret entrance to the heel, Shield headquarters, and they go down. Nick offers to make uh, Ms. Supreme Hydra daughter an agent of Shield. Whoa, 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 whoa! You mean they go down in underneath the in the the facility? I stand by what I said. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, it's a family show, man. What do you? Is it really? Yeah. yeah. Are there any families that are sitting around the fire listening to this? Like in the old days, like they're they're grabbing to listen to. Like like Fibba McGee and Molly. (laughs) Amos and Andy. Okay. Well, whatever. He offers her to make her an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., but she declines. And then we cut to Nick's apartment, which is very, very fitting uh, for Steranko style because he's got this, like, Art Deco apartment with a precarious-looking circular staircase <laughs> yeah, and a weirdly erotic statue of a man and his wench. We then get a short montage of Nick's daily life and cut to the training facility for S.H.I.E.L.D. where some pretty cool-looking agents are doing some exercises. Nick comes into a group of not-so-cool-looking agents and turns on what he calls Satan's Claw, which he had taken from uh, 
Baron Strucker in the previous issue. I bet just, that would be a great back scratcher. Oh, absolutely. Look at that. It's crackling with energy. Man, it's, it's got to feel good. It's an electrified gauntlet, and as you said, crackling with energy. Meanwhile, a smallish, balding man who you really don't picture as an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. tells Fury how he would deactivate the gauntlet. This guy's high. Look at him. <laughs> this, this guy has Chris Honeywell written all over him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I should have said that. Chris Honeywell comes walking up. Or whatever. After a few minutes, Fury is beckoned to the exhibition area to face an unnamed opponent, which might be somewhat of an interesting mystery if it hadn't already been on the cover. <laughs> and so Nick goes to an arena where Cap comes up from the floor and starts by flipping Nick. He quickly reg- Nick quickly regains his footing and tosses his cigar which explodes and releases some gas on the fight of smoking that thing. <laughs> Nick, Nick uses that as, an, as a distraction to attack, but Cap flips over him in a uh, pretty cool shot, except for the fact that his shield looks uncommonly small. Uh, Cap tosses the shield, and Nick uses his magnetic repulsor watch to deflect it back at Cap, but Cap moves quickly and catches it and sends it back again. So they're playing kind of shield ping pong. Nick does an Olympic gymnast type flip, which I really never pictured his character as being quite that nimble. He, he then reaches into his jacket and tosses another explosive cigar at Cap. Nick Cap, be nimble, Nick be quick. <laughs> Cap uses his shield to deflect the cigar back, but then Nick manages to find the time while this is all going on to take off his bulletproof jacket and use it to catch the cigar and contain the exploding stogie. Cap, in a moment of questionable political correctness, declares the battle is a Mexican standoff. In response, Nick takes off his shirt and uses his cigar to ignite the shirt, and it explodes in his face. He quickly regains his senses and says that it was the after-effect of an invisibility pill he took in the last issue that caused him to black out. While this is going on, a woman with silver streaks in her hair leaps down and helps Nick up. That would be the Contessa, isn't it? Yes, yes, it is, but it's the first time she's ever appeared. Oh. He reacts in a misogynistic way, so she flips him and introduces herself as Contessa Valentina Allegro di Fontaine and walks off. As she does, Cap starts talking about some of the work that they need to do, and the story ends. And that is the end of Spy School. Uh, Spy School. I like the uh, the Jim Stalin art, as always. Uh, Stranko. Stranko, excuse me. Yeah, I said Jim Stalin, my mistake. Uh, you know, he really was kind of taking what Kirby had done back then and then continuing to break new ground with it. You know, I, I can't say he was totally, you know, that he was the only one being innovative because I think Kirby was being innovative at that time. But he took it to, you know, a different level, really, you know, putting the Art Deco style, the, you know, the Andy Warhol type things into mm-hmm. play in comics, which, you know, nobody else was really doing at the time. You know, I think Kirby took it to one level and then guys like Neil Adams and Steranko came along and they took it to a different level. You know, they built on what Kirby was doing. Uh, so I really like that. Uh, you know, the story, uh, you know, eh. There's not not a lot going on there. I mean, it's just, you know, an excuse for him to create these images of uh, Nick and Cap battling each other more than anything else. Right. 
you know, it's got a couple of good things in there. I, like I said, I, I really liked the scene where they show when he first walks into the training area, and they show a whole bunch of different people. It's it's put together in kind of a splash page. Yeah, some of that. Some weird. Some what the? Uh, like <laughs> some weird costumes, guy. man. There's a guy stuck on a plane of glass, and he's he's got like some type of bug armor yeah. outfit on. Like he's got suction cuffs or something on his hands and feet. Uh, yeah, that's 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 really that's that's really out there. That whole it, everybody. It's hard to tell. There's a lot going it, on. It reminds me. You know, what that reminds me of that reminds me in, of the recent GI Joe movie when they come into the pit. You know, got, you're talking about the second movie, Retaliation. No, the first one. The, okay, the first one. The first one where they first come in and they've got them. They're working in in the underground complex in the Big Joe base where they've got all the. They're going through the little subs in the water and they keep dropping down through the different levels. Oh, okay. Well, who when, knows? Maybe that was inspired by this. Maybe I don't know, but it's it's just kind of reminiscent of that because you've got people fighting on different levels, um, and all that. And now that redhead down there, nah, that wouldn't be the Black Widow, would it? I doubt it, but you, they could retcon it to be her if they wanted to. Yeah. And what is with the guy in the the psychotic monkey bars the, with the, the pick, blindfold? Pick up sticks, guy. <laughs> pick up. What is that? What? He's like trapped inside this monkey bars from hell. I was picturing he was kind of like a shield mime. <laughs> He's trapped in the monkey bar box. Is he's, the other guy a... doing flips through fire hoops? Oh yeah, looks like he's doing a cannonball. He's going to smash right into the, the into the aquatic globe with the shark and the the guy in like the merman outfit with the hooks. Yeah, I like him. Yeah. But there's there's also if you look uh, in the upper right, there's a guy who's hanging from like he's chained by his feet and then he's got a straight jacket on. <laughs> yeah, who, yeah. I get I get the feeling that 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 is actually Jim Steranko putting himself into the book because he was a magician slash escape artist himself. Mm. Okay. And he's he's got you know it's it's, it's not a very very detailed shot because it's a small image. But he does have kind of a Steranko look about him a little bit. So I, I get the feeling that's a self-portrait within the uh, shot. I like how Nick throws his hat onto the, uh, you know, James Bond style. Yes. But now this is, is this pre-Bond? No, this no. is right about this. Well, James, 19- Bond, James Bond premiered in novel form in the late 50s, I believe. Luke would probably know because he was a just a treasure trove of Bond knowledge when we did our mm-hmm. Bond show a couple of years ago. Yeah, but uh, this says the book came out in August of 67. I think Dr. No came out in 66, didn't it? No, Dr. No came out in, I believe, 61 or 62, maybe even 60. Oh, so maybe the whole hat on the book the, had been done by then in the Oh, Bond absolutely. Case. There's no question oh, okay. it had been done. There's, uh, Nick Fury was was Marvel's answer to James Bond. Mm. You know, that he was just basically the Americanized version of him and, and a little bit more rough around the edges. But otherwise, you know, he was clearly influenced by Bond. I'm amazed that, well, not, not amazed, but I'm just surprised by some of the level, some of these, some of Stranko's work is stuff that you would, you could see in a book today. Um, <laughs> exactly. Like in the fr- on page two at the bottom, 
the one of the uh, oh, what's uh, I can't remember what you said her the daughter of the head Hydra that yeah. one where she's her hair's white and her coat's blue the way that that's colored and drawn that looks like something you would see in a book today the way that they would draw women I mean it's so detailed compared to some of the other drawings that are around it like when you look at at um, Dum Dum Dugan and Fury above her they look like a cartoon character but the picture of her looks more realistic than than a regular comic drawing mm-hmm. or a blue african american or <laughs> well yes a bluish purplish african american but then other times the art seems a little off but you know i mean i'm i shouldn't be a critic well because he makes that one woman look so good but the first time you see the you see the Contessa, she almost looks like a man, doesn't she? <laughs> I mean, come on, be honest. You're talking in, in the group shot at the end um, when she comes down when she when she's helping Nick up after she's fought with the after he's fought with Cap when she pushes Cap out of the way. Mm-hmm. I mean, she just looks kind of mannish with her. Well, she's certainly drawn as somebody who's not a uh, waif. Right. She's not, yeah. I mean she's not drawn fat, but she's not she's she's definitely got some some heft to her. Compared to what we'll see her as later is what I'm really looking at. But, but then again it's just the first time then there was he didn't have a later, so anyway. I'm what's, I shouldn't be so nitpicky. Up, uh, what's up with the shot of Cap on the twelfth page, uh where he's getting ready to throw the shield in the upper right corner? Oh, where he's all with, with his hands coming like straight. Yeah, that's. He's doing a twist that would make Chubby Checker jealous. <laughs> the heck is up with that? He's an acrobat. He can do anything. He can twist himself in any form known to man. And I'm sorry. On the same page with Nick flipping like that. That's what I was talking about. Where I, it, oh, it yeah. just doesn't seem believable for Nick Fury to be that gymnastic. Well, yeah. And And really. Who wears a bulletproof jacket and an explo- a high-explosive shirt? <laughs> Wouldn't it be better to wear the bulletproof shirt and the high-explosive jacket? This way, if it accidentally went off, you have protection. <laughs> yeah, maybe, you know, maybe have the high-explosive jacket on the outer, you know, so you can take it off quicker. Mm-hmm. Oh, shoot. Yeah. And why do you light it on fire just to pass out? One, a two, a three. Frack. <laughs> See, kids, fracking is dangerous. But overall, like I said, I, I some of the artwork is a little off. I think it was still Steranko getting his feet underneath him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but overall, I think it's pretty solid. There's some really good images, like the one that we were talking about with all the different people training. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm giving the art a really high rating. I, I loved the, uh, the shot of his apartment. Yeah, like, okay, the one where he's holding the Satan Claw, look at that picture of Nick Fury. That looks like a picture of Nick Fury today. I mean, the the detail, it's so much more, it just looks more detailed. The detail looks more detailed. You know, okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> you know what the I detail mean. detail is detailed. But I, I don't think Steranko was ever about the detail so much as he was about the layout. And, and then, then, and then, and the action get in a very clean image. Yeah. I mean, you know, I guess when I learned to draw, yeah, with all my spare time, 
I should be so critical. I mean, yeah, I, I like it. And, you know, there's just a few, few small things that are off. So, I mean, I guess if we had to give a grade, um, I would grade this B plus a minus. Yeah. I'm, I'm giving it a B plus on the art. And, uh, the biggest reason that it's a B plus and not a, not an a minus to me is I've seen Starenko take this to another level. So mm. I, I've got to leave some room for him to get to that level. His his best work is in the A A range. This isn't his best stuff. This is you know stuff that he like I said he has to build on yet. So I'm giving it a B B plus. Story wise, I'm giving it a C. There's nothing really special about the story. So overall, I'm giving it a I'm giving it a B minus. Overall, yeah, I I would give it uh, about the same. Yeah. So, you got anything else on this one? No, no. I'm just scanning. Uh, just, just looking over real quick. Uh, no, I think that's... I like. I like the three consecutive shots after uh, the Contessa tosses him, where he's kind of like standing there thinking about it. It's <laughs> almost like he gets angry, and then he gets yeah, yeah. Flexed. Yeah, first he's like, "What?" and then he's pissed, and he's like, "Eh." <laughs> And then, you know, it's almost like foreshadowing that, you know, he's going to, it's like, he's as she's walking away, he's thinking, I'm going to get me some of that. She likes me. She really likes me. (laughs) Well, that'll be it from Marvel. You got our DC today, Bill? Well, no, I don't have a DC. I have an independent. And it is probably so far independent. It's, we, probably not many people own it. Although I do have one that's even, I'm sorry, what was that? I said it's independent. Independent. I'm, I'm independent. Yeah, me too. I'm, whatever you said, independent. Hey, what do you say we both be independent together, huh? Although I do have one independent that is that was done by a local comic artist. And I think probably nobody. I don't know how. I'll have to go back and find that one. I don't know if he ever became anything. It's like at a local comic shop a few years ago. Oh, wow. Actually, probably in the mid-90s. So I don't know if. Uh, I'll have to dig that out. Maybe save that as an indie on another show. But tonight I have. Tonight, today, whenever you're listening. I have. Apollo Smile. Now, Apollo Smile, the character, it was actually an actual person. Um, Luke Giaconetti may know who this is. Apollo Smile was born Paula Apollo Ann Sheriff um, in New York City in February 1967. She, uh, well, it it says is, was, although she's really not heard of, of much these days that I could locate on the internet and a little bit of my research uh at at the time back in the 90s she was uh she was into pop music songwriting and she was a voice actress on some anime films and also uh games she um had self-billed herself as the live action anime girl and would do the convention circuit performing martial arts and posing and speaking in japanese phrases and wearing tight spandex clothing with uh her blonde hair and pigtails and uh she was also, some of you might have caught her back in the summer of 1998 as she was the uh, host of the Sci-Fi Channel's Anime Week, which I have some of those. I actually videotaped those on those things called VHS tapes. Um, they had had a run of uh, 
like Galaxy Express 999 and other anime films, uh, Fist of the North Star. Well, I don't know if they did Fist of the North Star during that week. They would sometimes show that at night because of the graphic violence. But basically, she was the the host for that week. And pretty much after that, uh, she had like a uh, maybe one or two albums that didn't really go anywhere. And that's about it. But one other thing they she did have was a two-issue actual comic series titled Apollo Smile, the manga comic. And it was uh, that's what I'm going to cover tonight is number one. I don't have number two. Never found it. I guess I, 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 I saw it on eBay. Uh, for a couple bucks, but eh, you know, maybe I'll buy it. I haven't decided yet. It was only a couple dollars. Anyway, this was put out by Eagle Wing Press in July of 1998. Cover price two ninety five, and the cover, which we will probably have on the show notes that you'll see, is uh, consists of a. It's basically a half photo, uh, half anime representation of Miss Apollo Smile. And uh, with the blonde hair and the pigtails and the pink bows. And down in the bottom uh, right-hand corner on the anime side of, side of the picture is a little anime drawing down there of uh, a representation of her saying, come on, you know, you want it. You know, being a little suggestive, suggestive anime. So, on the inside, there's a little quick blurb that basically describes that there are... Millions of realities in the Omniverse. They shift, change, and on occasion touch. Sometimes when they touch, a doorway opens, and that which does not belong slips through. This is the story of a girl and her crew fighting a covert war that cannot exist against a hidden enemy whose existence should not be. These heroes stand alone at the threshold, risking everything to close the portals against evil and defend their universe from shadow. Because in this war, only love of life and light can seal the gates of darkness, and music is the only key. Team Smile presents When the Levee Breaks Part 1. Team Smile is Apollo Smile, Groove and Scripting. Peter Cato, Illustration and Color. Paul E. Houston, Story and Scripting. Douglas DeMonda, Creative Director, Design, Enhancement and Layout. And if you by chance have the book, the first page or so has uh, basically a, a hello from Miss Smile, or Miss Sheriff, by her real name. What? Miss Smile, I don't know. Miss Smile. First name Apollo, last name Smile. So basically just saying that who she'd like to thank and uh, to the various cons and the various people that have helped her out and a thing for her fan club and her, uh, um, with her AOL address on it. <laughs> so you know this, <laughs> this, this is a little dated. So, but now on to the story. Inside... We see the ISS Starseed cruising through deep space. And it's your average mm, anime-looking spaceship. White in color. Viewports. Streamline. Very Battle of the Planets. Or, um, of course, now Luke Giaconetti's yelling at me. Because I can't remember the actual Japanese uh, Gaichin uh, series. Anyway, if if you're familiar with Battle of the Planets... It kind of looks like that ship, but white, without the round nodules on the end of the wings. Anyway, our focus shifts to a tranquil garden setting inside the ship. A large, dark-skinned man sits in a Buddha-like pose, meditating. A blonde-haired girl in a white bikini hmm, sneaks through the grass, running, then leaping into the air. She then flips and cannonballs into a nearby pool, splashing water onto the meditating man. Surprise, she yells, to which Polly... 
The now wet Buddha replies he was not surprised at all, criticizing her movements from the moment she entered the room. Apollo is more concerned with what he thought of her half-gainer and cannonball. Polly was not impressed. <laughs> Apollo scolds him for being no fun, to which he chastises Apollo further. So yeah, he isn't much fun after all. Polly appears to be some sort of sensei to young, young Apollo. At that, at that moment, a new voice chimes in, and another crew member, Raphael, has in it as well. Apollo wants to know how Rafe snuck in and asked the ship's sentient computer, Armacord, um, how he got in. The ship comments on... Um, uh, excuse me. The disembodied voice of the ship comments on how the behavior of humans... Uh, on the behavior of humans in the process freaks out Rafe. Armacord apologizes for not inter- interacting with them via a remote, which we now see is a floating volleyball-sized sphere... Wilson with three white circles on it. It doesn't like to use the remote, especially when Isis is in the vicinity. Hmm. Wonder who Isis is. It was also distracted by a long range scan of an unknown object. It asks if they would like to change course to investigate. Apollo was all for it, but asked the ship not to tell the other crew member Malicite, as he doesn't like things to uh, that happen out of the order and uh, out of the ordinary and change. Um, the ship agrees, and the remote readies to leave when suddenly Isis, a brown-colored cat, meow, <laughs> leaps out of nowhere and bounces off of Polly's chest and lands on the fleeing remote. She scratches the chasing and is shocked for her trouble. Clear. However, the remote explodes and, re- and the remains land next to Raph, Exploding again, making him look like Daffy Duck after getting blasted by Elmer Fudd. Isis is now sitting on Apollo's head, and the ship responds that non-silicon-based lifeforms can be so confusing sometimes. Inner subplot. In Renehu, capital city of Chesog 2, a local official, Nev Orgath, hey, I'm just reading the names, I didn't write them, and possibly Apollo... Well, actually, I did write it because I'm reading my synopsis. But again, I'm going way off. <laughs> a local official, Nev Orgath, and possibly blah, Apollo's promoter, Sarah Avik, discuss the security for her next performance in the city. Nearby, a space limo... Well, it's a limo, it's space. What else am I going to call it? A space limo pulls up and two white-haired, ashen-colored skin people... Uh, skin, ugh, skin people come out. They are Jarek Sharad of Starhammer Entertainment and his sister Jewel, and they are here to see Sarah Avik about the preparations for Apollo's performance. The the um, space valet, I guess we can call him, directs them to where to go, not noticing the lifeless arm on the limo floor. Dun dun dun! Back in space, the star seed has reached the unknown object. And it is the remains of the Starliner Paku. Apollo, Pauling, and Rafe in spacesuits. Weren't they in uh, Star Trek Insurrection? You know, I that has been bugging me. That has, thank you, because I'm sitting here going, Paku, Paku, I know that. And then I was thinking the pack lids from the Next Generation episode. And we like, make it go. Smart. <laughs> he makes synopsis. <laughs> well, I'm glad my... Uh... My wise-ass comment could help you. 
No, thank you, because that, that would have just, just, I mean, yeah, it, it would have bugged me. So anyway, our three heroes, Apollo, Rafe, and Polly, uh, make their way into the wreckage. Inside, they find, inside the ship quarters, they find pockets of hydraulic fluid floating in the zero gravity. Unfortunately, this makes the fluid highly unstable and explosive. Note, this will be important later. The group holsters their blasters and continue on further. They come across a holding cage that has, his, that has been broken out of from the inside. Hmm, more foreshadowing. Apollo senses that the dark Gulrang had been aboard the had been aboard earlier, but she isn't 100% sure. Polly scolds her that if she had trained harder, she wouldn't have to guess. So I'm assuming from this you're to infer that Polly is some type of space sensei and I guess some other mysticism that she would detect these other beings, but that doesn't really, you know, you're just kind of led to figure it out on your own. And maybe it becomes something in the second issue, which I don't have. Before he can continue further, they enter the main lounge to a scene of carnage. Bodies, half, whole, or just pieces, float before them. Apollo is shaken and vows to make the Gulrang pay. Armorcord tells them that it has been able to track the fleeing ship, and Apollo directs it to stay locked on until they, uh, until they return back to the ship and can make chase. Unfortunately, the ship has also determined what was in the cage they found broken earlier. An Antaro Kraken, a creature that can survive in no atmosphere for a limited time, is loose upon the ship. Rafe asks what the animal's classification is. Armacord replies, extremely dangerous. Cue quiet and then loud scary music. The Antrano leaps from nowhere and attacks. It, look like, it looks like a cross between a parrot, an armadillo with six legs, the size of a 72 Buick LeSabre. Our group takes on the creature in a heavy firefight, but they can't seem to damage it. Apollo tells Polly and Rafe to leave while she stalls the beast. Once the others are outside the ship, <clears throat> she leads the Antaro down the long corridor that they came through earlier, the one with the hydraulic fluid in it. See? This is where this comes becomes important, kids. Apollo, pos positioning herself, then fires her hand cannon sidearm that propels her down the corridor and ignites the fluid, destroying the creature. She is hurled out of the ship as Polly catches her to stop her from shooting off into space. Apollo, Polly, and Rafe head back to the Starseed to track down the Dark Gulrang and make them pay. To be continued. And unfortunately, I don't know how the story turns out because <laughs> I never got issue two. And let me let me let me interrupt you. I'm sorry, but. Did you really have a desire to have issue two at any point? Well, I think at the time I got this, I was working at the comic book store. And I so was it was being... free? No, no. I was paid in comic books. We had worked out a deal. What? Uh, minimum wage, I think, was seven bucks an hour. So, you know, if a comic book was three fifty, you know. I, I, I would keep keep track, and I think this is how I got this book. It was one of the things I grabbed off the shelf. I'm like, yeah, I'll I'll try this. So I don't ever remember them. They, he might not have even picked up number two at the at the shop because it just didn't really sell that well. Considering I took one for free. <laughs> really, of. this this wasn't a big seller. You no. think word of mouth alone would have just had this thing just rushing off the shelves? 
Hey, man, she was on. Uh, it was not too soon after this that she was on the Sci Fi Channel. So I, I don't know. Uh-huh. Maybe it was big in New York. You're you're from New York. Yes, I am. She was born in New York. Don't you know her? <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there are only a few of us. You didn't get her self-titled 1991 album? You know, I mean, I guess being, you know, an elderly gentleman as I am, uh, I would have been out of the age range for this anyway. Yeah. But well, I've just the liked... same, I am 100% unfamiliar with this. When when you sent me the book that you were going to cover, you know, that you were going to cover this, I had no idea what it was. Uh, you've now synopsized it. I still have no idea what it is. Yeah, I know. I didn't really, I could have gone a lot deeper with, with describing, but I mean, it's, it's your no, general. No, thank you for not. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> I mean, it's not a bad anime. I mean, the story is kind of interesting. You know, the characters, it's. <sighs> and it makes you want to claw the eyes out of your head way. <laughs> Well, unfortunately, we can't both look look over the art. Um, no, I, I, yeah, unfortunately, I, I or fortunately, perhaps, uh, I don't have a copy of this to look at. So I'm really basing my entire criticism on this, probably unfairly so, just on you know your your synopsis of the story, which you know I, th- I thought you did a fine job of synopsizing it. I, I don't want to criticize that, uh, but it just. I don't know. It's a book that I, I was thinking I, I wouldn't want to read it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like I said, I, I, I didn't actually, quote unquote, buy it, although I bought it in time. You know, my hard earned labor moving books from one side of the store to the other. And answering the phone and ringing people up and standing around reading comic books. Man, what, what a rough life. But it's nice high gloss paper. <laughs> It's nice. It's nice art. I mean, you know, the art's not bad. I would say on a anime scale from, let's see. Well, are you familiar with any anime art? I mean, I know what anime Anger. art looks like, but no, I, I have, I am not, I am not qualified to critique anime art. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know it well enough and, and I'm not going to, I'm not, I don't want to insult the people who like that by trying to pretend that I know what I'm talking about with it, because I really don't. Well, for me, judging, if I had to do a scale for like, uh, I guess I really can't. No, because you haven't seen any of that either. I was going to say, well, there's Star Blazers and there's Fist of the North Star and Akira. You ever seen Akira? I've seen images. Mm. All right, well, the art's not as good as that. <laughs> and it's not as bad as like you know um it's not as bad as taking random crayons and scratching them against yes, the side of your a- house exactly exactly <laughs> yeah no it's uh for me on an an- anime scale from the different stuff that i've seen i would give this like a c plus b minus on art um, and I'm just I mean, you take your word on that because again, even if I could see the art in front of me, I'm not familiar enough with, I'm, I'm not really qualified to critique anime art. I'm just not. Yeah. No, no, no. That's cool. I'm trying to, th- oh, Robotech. You seen Robotech? No. No. <sighs> you know, I got all the, uh, all the episodes of Robotech on DVD if you ever want to borrow them. 
perhaps that that would be saved for an episode of back to the anime bins <laughs> story yeah i'll give it a c art yeah c plus b minus but what did you think of the cover you've got a picture of the cover what do you think of Miss Smile herself? You could do a Google search. You could pull up all kinds of images, clean images of Apollo Smile. Uh, I mean, the cover just you seems... You see her in her spandex outfit. Yeah. Apparently, she was later kind of, uh, in the later parts of her career, she was kind of... Uh, uh, no, I wasn't going to say that. But I was hoping. Was I'm sorry, wishful I, thinking. I, I guess she was kind of mocked. Like she was a poser, like a lot of anime people. From, from what I was reading now, I've only read one or two other things I could find on the internet. But, you know, that, that she was like, she just kind of created herself and people kind of came back like, yeah, get out of here. Who are you? And that they kind of lost interest. So, but maybe somebody out there is the ultimate Apollo Smile fan and, and can fill us in. Because I'm just the passing Apollo Smile fan, obviously, since I couldn't be bothered to get the second book. Or buy her album. But I do have all the videotapes of her on um, Sci-Fi Channel. Sci-Fi Channel Summer of 1998. No porn. Porn. That would be hentai. What do I know? Again, I've spoken too much. (laughs) No, just because, honestly, I don't know. Hentai is the name for the Japanese porn cartoons? Yeah. Interesting. And an anime is the name for the animated movies, and manga is the name for the comics. And I don't know what the name is for porn comics, if it's still manga. Pornga? I thought you said it was hentai. No, hentai is for the movies. Oh. Get it right! (laughs) Sorry. And I was just distracted by the thought of porn. You're so distracted. Oh, plus the fact that I really don't know anything about this stuff. But uh, you know, it, it's like I said, it's it's. I'm I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> I just it's just not not anywhere maybe I, near maybe sh- my my level of knowledge. Maybe I shouldn't have pulled something out so obscure. You know, in the same conversation where I'm talking about porn I don't want you to talk about pulling things out last thing I'm going to say is if you like anime and you come across this and it's at a cheap back bin pick it up it's a nice quick little read I was going to say while you're in the bathroom but again that just leads right to Paul's area expertise porn (laughs) what I did do is I I did look it up uh, I did a google search on it and one of the things that came up is, you know, that it's it's available on uh, eBay, where they're asking a dollar twenty for it, <laughs> for issue one and two. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I think it was just issue one. Uh, I think well, two it, has a picture of the ship on the cover, so that's one? all I know. So actually, you could put maybe put both pictures. Up. Wow, we did the whole Apollo Smile retrospective. <laughs> <laughs> What will we do next time Apollo Smile comes up now? We've already covered it all. I'll go. Track right, you know what? I'm as as I'm going to make an executive producer decision and no, uh, Apollo she, Smile she's henceforth banned from any future show. 
Does does that nope. mean if we get any Apollo Smile emails, we'll have to bleep out wherever we mention her name? No, we just can't pick her books any any longer. Okay. She's not un- unattractive, although I don't know what she looks like now. Well, she wasn't a kid, though. I mean, it, it, what did it say? She was born in 1967? So yes, she's a... only 47. And this Maybe was 46 because I'm 44. I'm born in 69. Okay. 69, dude. Uh, and this was when 2000. Well, 19- this, came, this came out in 1998. So she's like 46 now. And that was the 15 years ago. So, yeah, so she would have been in her 30s. Early 30s. Or her late 20s, right? Yeah. See? Nothing wrong with that. She, she would have been prime age for porn. <laughs> There are some pictures in the back of her dancing here on the last page. Ooh. But you can get those on the internet, too. Erotic? No. Uh. Then it shows her playing video games, playing Tekken 3. Then she kicks the camera. (laughs) But, I mean, the whole thing about her being a poser. So she was famous for being... Well, she was famous, but then I... Well, hold on. There was another blog I looked at real quick. Where it was, it was actually more on this this other guy's blog that talked about uh, her singing because she tried to be a pop star and that just uh, that didn't work out either. That's it. Like it, it almost seems like the more modern version of Marvel trying to make Dazzler into a real por- a, a real I almost said porn a real pop star. <laughs> <laughs> Like like coming up with the character and then trying to, you know, basically, you know, do a search to find an actress to play the part and then have her release albums and such. Not that there hasn't been, you know, so many studio-driven famous singers over the years. I mean, yeah, I mean, she, just, she kind of created herself before they were, I mean. It's almost like the talent is secondary to the image. Mm-hmm. Which I find to be kind of an offensive uh, thought. But whatever. These kids these days. Maybe Hope can fill us in if she's listening. Is, is she known as a big uh, Apollo well, Hope, Smile fan? I don't know if she's an Apollo Smile fan, but she does know. She may know more about anime than does I she do. she do the Apollo Smile podcast? <laughs> Because two true freaks is probably in the market to get one. You know, I'm starting to think you're just really starting to make fun of me. Really? <laughs> just now, how, how how many shows did it take? That just occurs to you, does it? <laughs> uh, I think that's it. Yeah, I think, I think it, right now that Scott is thanking everybody for listening to our show. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Please, we're so glad the show is over tonight. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. 
Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com and is a registered trademark of DiManzocor of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.